Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Soil Health Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and I've got to say this might be the most laid-back podcast I've ever done. Sitting here on a porch in a rocking chair at Barry Fisher's house here in Greencastle, Indiana. And Barry is kind enough to join us on today's podcast. Hello, Barry, and thank you for the hospitality. Hey. Glad y'all could make it out here today. It's uh, The weather's nice, and uh, what could be better than, than sitting on a porch in the shade on a hot, sunny day? On on Friday the 13th of all <laughs> On things. Friday the 13th. Hugh, that's Hugh the scary music. Yeah. Probably to be. Yeah. Stephanie McLean is here as well. Hello, Stephanie. Hey, Eric. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Like I said, I'm just rocking here. I'm, I'm good to go. And, and you've got the same rocking chair I've got. It's, it's kind of nice, right? The, the pillow on the back, uh, yeah. hitting, the, uh, hitting that middle of the back. It, it just feels so comfortable sitting here. It's After perfect. we're done, I might have to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys just talk for a while, and I'll get mine in during here. So, uh, no, let's let's talk soil health. We've, we've uh, taken a little bit of a hiatus here from the Soil Health Podcast, but it's time we start bringing some of these things back up and bringing them to the forefront. Uh, this topic of soil health has been just picking up steam over the last few years especially. A lot more folks getting in there. I know we've seen some data here in Indiana where cover crops and no-till practices are really starting to pick up here across the state. And uh, Barry, first things first, um, we, we need to say goodbye to Stephanie here first because she's going to be leaving here very soon. Um, so, so really the whole point of this episode was just to say goodbye, Stephanie, and um, here in like a week or two, you're, you're, you're dead to us. You, you're, you're done. So that's the show. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, no, but really Stephanie, you're, you're moving back. I thought the next thing you were going to say was, is don't let the screen door hit you on the back end on your way out or something like that. I I thought that's where this was going. But, but first explain for folks who haven't heard you on the soil health podcast before what your current position is and then where it is you're leaving us. I am currently the state soil health specialist, uh, for NRCS here in Indiana. Um, And that was a position that Barry had before I had the privilege to fill in after him when he left to go to the national office for the soil health division, uh, working more of a regional position. So I started here in Indiana about five years ago, and everywhere I would go, uh, everyone would always say, oh, well, you're the new Barry Fisher. You're the new Barry Fisher. You're the new Barry Fisher. They also, (laughs) quite often, Barry, they also did say, you're much better looking than he is. Yeah, I, I, that, assumed, they, there was I assumed a, that would come along pretty <laughs> quick. Yeah. So, so there was always lots of that. And I got to the point where I was like, before anyone could say uh, that uh, I'm, the, I'm the new Barry Fisher, I started to tell people, well, no, Barry Fisher is just the old Stephanie McLean because <laughs> I was meant to have this position. And there so he go. had to leave this position so that I could come in and, and fulfill my destiny uh, to be uh, a state soil health specialist uh, in, in this state where um, uh, Indiana's really made such a, a, a 
big, uh, what do you want to say, a big splash in the soil health movement uh, just across the entire state and, and across the nation as a whole uh, as being recognized as a leader in soil health. And so, um, again, five years ago when I was offered this position, I was like, oh yeah, that's where I want to go. Get, pack up your bags, girls. We're heading, we're heading to Indiana. Uh, and so we moved down here and, and I have been working here for just under five years. Um, but recently, um, they were hiring, or NRCS has decided they were going to hire a soil health specialist in Minnesota. And so I applied for that position and was offered the job there in Minnesota. And that's where I'm from. So when we, when we moved to come to Indiana, we actually moved from Minnesota and we had a little bit of a layover in Lincoln, Nebraska for about six months before coming here uh, to, Indi to Indiana. So the move back to Minnesota is a really exciting one for, for me and for my family because we're gonna be moving back closer to our family. Um, I'm excited to be working with coworkers that I've worked with five years ago and, and farmers that are doing soil health practices there to, to take everything that I've learned here in Indiana and bring that back and, and just start to to plug in with people that are excited and passionate about soil health there. Well, Stephanie, we, we will miss you and we appreciate what you've done here for the past five years. And let's talk a little bit more about some of the things that you do intend to take back to Minnesota with you here. But first, uh, Barry, uh, I, I think somewhere in all of that, she did call you old. So I'll let you respond to that first and then just give a little bit of your background. <clears throat> Well, I've spent most of my career here in Indiana and uh, worked in almost every position there is for in within the Natural Resources Conservation Service, everything from soil conservationist, district conservationist, area agronomist, state agronomist, state soil health specialist, and uh, and then when I moved on the last six years before I retired, I was with the National Soil Health Division, which I covered the, my team covered basically from uh, North Dakota to Kansas back to Ohio and and so uh, we covered most of the central part of the states and uh, got to meet a lot of great people all across the country great farmers and great great researchers great agency folks that were really passionate about soil health and stuff so great way to end a career 40 years almost uh, 39 and a half I couldn't I couldn't let it go till 40 years that seemed wrong so 39 and a half years and I retired uh, uh, a year ago this January. So uh, still continuing to help out with the thing that I was most passionate with, and that's training on soil health. And not just training our agency folks, which we've done a great job of here in Indiana, and it's probably the hallmark of our success, is how we've trained with our, you know, not just our NRCS agency people, but we have a very strong partnership in Indiana. and and. Uh, the partnership has been uh, absolutely dedicated to solid soil health training for their for their field staff, and so uh, I get to continue doing that. Still a lot in my afterlife, if you will. But I'm still doing a lot of contract work. I'm doing a lot of work with uh, corporate uh, folks that are now trying to ramp up for soil health and climate smart farming and and some of those kinds of things. So still having a good time. Uh, uh, still get to work with great people. Uh, as I was leaving, I was, you know, really worried because I'd built up, you know, a lot of good relationships here in Indiana. And so I was really uh, happy when we found uh, Stephanie to come to Indiana because I'd, I'd known Stephanie before that and, and knew the kind of work that she was doing in Minnesota. And then she, she was, you know, I, I knew her briefly when she was at uh, 
Nebraska. So I was really tickled when we got that someone with that kind of passion and energy. You know, she she she's not only younger; she's a lot more energetic than I am, and and <laughs> and can get a lot more done in a lot uh, shorter shorter time period. So. So that was good. I, I, I really, really hate to see her go, but uh, I'll still probably stay in touch. And there's very likely I'm, this will give me an excuse to spread spread out and go up to Minnesota, where I not only go now to fish, I can go up there and, and maybe meet with some of the farmers and stuff sometime too. So it sounds like he's sounds like you're trying to get some business uh, business uh, travel <laughs> out of going up to go fishing in Minnesota is what it sounds like. Mo- mostly, yeah, mostly the fishing and maybe if, if you can find a pheasant for me, I'd I'd, I'd appreciate that. Fishing, too. pheasants, <laughs> soil health. That's what is that? That's what your Perfect. new T-shirt's gonna say. Perfect. This is the Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, and I'm looking out here in the crowd. We do have a small crowd for today's podcast. Lisa Holscher is out there, executive director of CCSI. Lisa, you set me up with someone who's retired and someone who's got one foot out the door. Are we even getting up-to-date information on this podcast anymore? I don't, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, th- I, think, I think these folks know what they're talking about. So, uh, Barry, you, you touched on training. I want to go back to that a little bit. What, what types of things? You talk about training kind of being the hallmark of, of what we do here in Indiana. Talk about some of the training that has taken place and why you believe that's so important. Well, early on uh, within Indiana the major agriculture agencies and, and organizations extension uh, you know the the different USDA agencies the state ag agencies and uh, the soil and water conservation districts the state association the state department of ag they signed an actual and I'll probably left somebody out Lisa help me out but but the uh, they signed an actual partnership agreement to work together and combine resources and share resources and that's a smart way to do business you know everybody doesn't have to do their exact same thing and try to recreate it every time so but when we when we started a train down the training path every every agency lead signed on to a soil health uh, strategy for the partnership and in that strategy was training was first and foremost there was actual actual dedication of funds for training and uh, what that does as as farmers are hearing about soil health you know they're hearing it in a whole bunch of different contexts so we wanted to keep it science-based but very doable very logical very practical for the farmers because any farmer that wants to do this they need to hear continuity of message we need to know from whoever they're talking to what's the practical side what's the scientifically based side we want good solid information and uh, that helps with the decision process if they're hearing continuity a message and and a very clear path to successful adoption of cover crops no-till better nutrient management systems more more prescribed uh, you know integrated pest management more prescribed cover crop usage and those kinds of things so it's not just understanding why soil health is important, which we train all of our people, and, and that, that branches out to the farmers, too. you got to know, first of all, why would I change management? But, but there's got to be a reason, right? So we talk about soil function. We show them how to do the demonstrations, and we demonstrate the difference in soil function between soil health management systems. But then if I'm going to change management, I need to know from a practical standpoint, from an econ- ec- economic standpoint, how to do this successful what's my first best step and all of our agency everybody that's advising farmers 
need to have that same kind of understanding so that they can be very objective in their approach, very logical and very sound in, in their advice so that we don't just try cover crops for the sake of cover crops. We try the right cover crop in the right place with the right management so it's successful the very first thing. And so what that results in is how, how big of a drive, a big circle did we make? We probably saw more fields with cover crops and no-till than without. Wouldn't you say, guys? Yep. That's success. And, and Lisa was saying on her way up here, one of the drives she was making, that there were more fields with cover crops than without. And that's what, what has kept Indiana as kind of the cradle for soil health. Not because we thought it was important, or not because it's even any more important here, but we focused on how to do it successfully and, and provide really sound, not only financial support, but very sound technical support. And then we've built really good farmer networks. And that, that adds to the training and the, and the quality of, of the systems that we're trying to get on the land. And that's speaking way too much for very, very, way too long. So <laughs> I'll turn it over. I thought it was very good. I don't have anything to add to that. Plus, he didn't put any gaps in there, so you can't cut any of that out. You're going to have to use the whole thing. <laughs> well, Steph, it, that type of approach has to make things easier for someone in your position. You know, you, you have this wide network of folks that are helping you promote these same things, right? Absolutely. When when One of the things that Barry hit on, that idea of continuity of message, that becomes so important because, again, when I when I came here at, to step into this position, there was already a whole you know partnership surrounding me, a, and so a lot of the things that I started working on or started stepping into were already well established, like trainings that we kind of make sure that we do every year for our newer employees or uh, different types of outreach events, and so all of that. It wasn't like I was having to recreate the wheel or start from scratch on some type of a, a soil health program here in the state. Uh, the state was, was well-versed or is well-versed in, in the importance of soil health and soil function and all of, all of the agencies that I had the opportunity to work with already had agreed to that. So um, it, it made that, so coming here allowed me to just focus on going out wherever I needed to go to be present, whether it was with uh, a conservation planner or a partner, you know, someone within NRCS, if they wanted me to go look at a farmer's field or if, if a farmer wanted me to be there, I'd go wherever I needed to go to make those connections um, right away. And, and so it, it helped get me going a lot more quickly because all of the, the formats and the framework of everything that, w we, that they had already established, I was able to fit right into it and then just hit the ground running and just start working with people one-on-one -on -one and, and larger groups and, and, and fill in where I needed to for trainings and things like that. So it, uh, it really, it really uh, has been a really great success. Now, everyone that I've talked to in this space, in this soil health space on, on this podcast and just around the state, you, you can hear the, the passion for it. And it's, it's not just about, you know, doing it for themselves. It's not just about spreading it in Indiana. They, they want this thing to spread everywhere that it can. Um, so, so we talk about you moving to Minnesota and, and you know, coming to Indiana, having this established uh, space here. What can you take from Indiana with you out to Minnesota so that that message can get spread there too? 
So I think there's a lot of things that, that I can, you know, hopefully take back with me. Um, one of the things that I have to remember that when I, when I go to a new state or I go to a new place um, is that I have to make sure that I'm very respectful uh, for the people that I'm going there to work with. Um, I, I don't know, Barry, if you've ever had this happen to you, <clears throat> but I, um, I used to work as a DC in one state and then I, I took a job and I moved to a, another state in a different location and I would say, but in this last place, we always did it like this, or this is how I always used to do it. And I was told very quickly, well, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. You know, this is how we do it here. So one of the things that I always have to keep in mind when I am a new employee in a different state is that I have to have a lot of respect um, for the people that are already working there because, uh, you know, I'm not going to make a lot of friends or have a lot of success if I go there and, I'm, and I say, well, I have all the answers and this is how we need to do it. Um, I know that's not going to work. I need to, but what I did learn very well while being here is that I need to, when I get to the new state that I'm going to, seek out my partners, figure out where they are, show them the respect that they deserve because it, it's not like they haven't already been working on this. Minnesota has made great strides in technical training and, and, and soil health across the state, but it's just, you know, they haven't had a soil health specialist for maybe six or eight months um, and and everyone will tell you that COVID's been hard on everybody right so I, my job when I first get there is to start building relationships finding those partnerships and leveraging those and helping those partnerships that are already in place and the things that are already being done to just help leverage those and get those done on, on more locations and things like that um, so that's kind of the first thing that I'm thinking about and 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 in addition to that I think that there's things that I've learned here and there's 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 programs that we've worked on, technical notes that we've developed that I'm absolutely going to take with me. I mean, uh, I again, I don't want to recreate the wheel when I go there. I'm ta I'm taking it all. Like, <laughs> hey, here's this here's this worksheet or this tech note. Let's start from this let's start from this point to de develop something instead of starting from scratch. A and I think that that's a good way to leverage um leverage the things that I've, I've learned here in Indiana. We're here on the Soil Health Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. I'm with Stephanie McLean and Barry Fisher. And Barry, as we look out here uh, again on your front porch and just kind of looking out at what all you've got here, let's, let's talk a little bit about your place and what you've done in the way of cover crops and some of the things you have going on here. Just talk a little bit about your approach out here. Well, uh, my wife and I w were lucky enough to get this place uh going on 20 about 22 years ago now and uh the the first and foremost goal was uh, there would never be any tillage done on on the farm and so it's never been tilled and uh it's never been without a winter cover crop or winter cover so it's been kind of living some of those core principles that we developed for soil health before we knew that those were the core principles and and Part of that's sheer luck, but and part of that's sheer didn't have enough equipment to, to do anything else anyway, so so that's the way we did it. So as you look, the cropland's all been no-tilled. We try to use corn, it's mostly corn soybean, but try to get wheat in the rotation and then a, 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 a complex cover crop mix like you see out here in the front field with the crimson clover and the, the rapeseed and, and uh, it's got barley uh, it's got cereal rye, it's got um, some Austrian winter peas, and uh, 
you know, it, it had many more things. Some of those winter killed over the winter, and uh, so then in the spring we've got uh, still got a pretty good crop that's really great for the pollinators. I hear a quail hollering out there in the middle of the the field this morning, and heard it just a minute ago again. So it's not just we both love wildlife and we like the the you know the 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 nature setting and stuff. So we get joy out of every aspect of this, not just the economics. And and you know the the cropland yields are still very good, uh, even with small equipment, even with pretty old equipment. We've managed to upgrade most of that equipment uh, pretty inexpensively to to get a pretty good stand and pretty good crops we uh, grass feed beef here in the front lot they, they should be they're liable to come rolling in any minute and cause a lots of noise because we we hadn't gotten them until now just just haven't been able to spend time to track down our our summer feeders but uh, they'll be coming in and so we'll we'll use a prescribed grazing system out here out front and that makes a big difference. We've seen, you, you won't see very many weeds out there anymore once we went to the prescribed grazing. And uh, by by keeping the cattle there in short period, high density, but but moving them often, we 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 give a get a healthier pasture and we get better soil health in our pasture. And then that equates to less weed pressures and other things. So the, a lot of good things happen that we get to watch here. I've tried all different cover crop types, seeding rates, and things that out on the road I, I tend to promote but I, I get to validate back here on on a smaller scale but but still get to validate that they work from a practical standpoint so it's been a nice mix for us and uh, so that's we try to do we pr try to practice what we preach <laughs> yeah. one, one of the things I think Barry that I, when I come to your farm and it's always a it's always a, a awesome to be able to come here and you know, when I say I'm going to Fisher's Farm and we're we're going to go collect soils or we got to get our rainfall simulator trays filled or or we're just, you know, one time a couple, uh, uh, I think maybe last year, uh, my family and I came out here because we were just feeling pent up from uh, from uh, COVID isolation. And he let us take the gator out and the kids got to drive the, the Kubota out around a little bit and go look for um geodes I think is what we went and looked for and stuff like that so it's it's always fun to come here but I, I think what I see in this place like you talk about uh, the the wildlife and all these things is it's such a living system and and that's one of the things that we see happen in such an amazing way when we when we focus on building soil health and function on the landscape is that 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 whole system becomes alive and it's not just the field but it's the the landscape around it it's it's the birds and then you get the flowers and the livestock and it just it's such a great amazing living ecosystem and and everything that is around it tends to to benefit and thrive because of that living ecosystem based on healthy functioning soil so you got a nice system here barry i really appreciate it <laughs> it's, it's fun it's fun to live here uh we enjoy it but um yeah it's um uh, it's uh here's the quail hollering again hear him <laughs> i don't know if you, it probably won't come across the microphone but um uh, anyway yeah uh, we there's not a single we're at a strange geographic location here in Greencastle. This farm sits right on the end moraine, the Wisconsin glaciation end moraine. So she mentioned geodes right under this last bit of glacial till on the hills and we don't have a single field that's not mapped as highly erodible. 
but right underneath that is a layer of, of uh, limestone, and there's geodes in between that and the next layer. So as the creek meanders through the farm, there's this big deposit of the, the quartz-filled geodes, you know, which is a rare thing this far north. And, and uh, so, so, you know, the highly erodible land is, a, is an issue. Part of why we do what we do is because we have to, or the farm doesn't stay in place. Uh, but after the 22 years, we, we, other than those winter rains when the ground is frozen, there would never be a rain that would cause runoff. And back to that's always rewarding from a soil function standpoint is even on the steep, steep slopes of these fields, water does not run off other than maybe if we get a winter, a late winter rain when the ground's frozen, that would be the only time it would run off. So that's the kind of function we're shooting for. Imagine that on a broad scale. What if we had that kind of infiltration on a broad scale across all of our agriculture land? What would that mean for the rest of society that lives on the floodplains and lives downstream? I mean, that's let alone we're capturing all that water for crop use. So at the end of the day, when we talk about soil health, it's it's about it's not foo-foo it's not just something that makes us feel good it's about real production potential real production resiliency to extreme weather and uh you know it's a it's a stable reliable food source you know production uh, system so uh there's nothing you know yes it makes us feel good but at the same time uh we still got to produce a lot of food for for the world and and uh it's a very sustainable very very uh, resilient way to crop our 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 soils now barry i do want to kind of bring it to the here and now because we've had um i'll call it a slow spring for all farmers around the state it's been cold and wet and you know this past week we had some beautiful weather here as we do talk on friday the 13th we've got more rain coming in so just some kind of tight windows here going forward i think from a, a planting standpoint can you talk just a little bit about the differences of, you know, and, and maybe some of the similarities of things that, you know, you would face here getting those corn and soybeans in the ground and, and what you have with, with your cropping system versus those who don't have some of those things in place and, and still, I know some guys are still out doing some tillage if they do that, that tillage right now, still some work that needs done. Can you just talk about some of those differences and similarities just in what needs done? Well, we, we came by two perfect examples, side-by-side, side, same exact soil types, just two different managers. One guy was out doing his spring tillage this morning. The farmer to the south that was in long-term no-till plus cover crops had his planter in the field and was planting crops. So, so you, from a timeliness standpoint, when you get these narrow windows, you go. You're putting the seed in the ground. And both of these farmers are very good managers. They're both raised decent crops, but but one is 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 going. He's planting his grain during this narrow window, and the other one is just preparing the soil. If we get a rain tomorrow night, that field may not get planted. So now we've got one that's planted and one that's bare soil for the next rain. Which would you rather have? <laughs> There that's, he said it. That, there you go. <laughs> that's, there he said it. I think that but was you have the to mic have drop. That, you yeah. have to have that confidence, you know, that, that that system will work. Because we were talking, you know, the, the guy that's out there tilling, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just doing what he knows has worked 
His father was successful doing that. It's a tradition. They're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing some bad thing. They're just doing what, in their mind, offsets risk. And 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 uh, so when we come we come full circle to having really trained, highly technical staff and technical uh, support that provides that other farmer that's no-tilling today into a cover crop a, a risk advert you know he it, it gives them a man a way to feel good about managing the risk you know if you think about the 600 plus dollars per acre they're putting in input costs to get the seed in the ground this year it's not it's probably a conservative number uh, if you were buying your inputs today uh that's a lot of risk so to assume that every farmer is just going to adopt this system they're not going to adopt it unless they can feel safe about the risk and so that's where really really good technical support happens and so that's why we want continuity of message not just among agencies and and our uh, you know our partners but we we branch that beyond to to that ag retailer that provides a lot of technical assistance. We we include them in all of our discussions, all our workshops. We've brought them along. So that technic that service provider, that that retail service provider, is spreading fertilizer and supplying seed and all that. They know what the logical, practical, successful steps are too, so that they're as equally as uh, uh, able to able to provide that same technical assistance for success. And so that's. That's what we've got going. You know, we can take advantage of this system so much more when we, when we uh, don't perceive it as a huge risk. So our time is running short here on the Soil Health Podcast, and much like training and that technical assistance is the hallmark of, of getting this system set up here across the state, I ask our guests on each of these podcasts for advice for those listening that maybe aren't in this space i talked about being in the soil health space yet they're not there maybe they're thinking about it maybe it was as simple as they're hearing about some of these carbon smart credits that they're getting through some companies and they're thinking about moving this direction Uh, just advice you have and stephanie i'll start with you for those just getting started with these soil health practices so the best advice I think that I could give to anyone that's just, just like you said, just thinking about this or, or just getting started with these practices is to look around your neighborhood or kind of look in some greater area that's close to where you farm and find someone who is implementing these practices successfully and reach out to them. Um, so that could be farmers who are you know, using no-till implementing uh, prescribed cover crops, uh, utilizing quality no-till, these types of things, and and we're seeing success on that operation. Reach out to those farmers and ask them how they got started and and what things that that you could see if you could learn from them to help get you started. Um, Because you had said it earlier in the podcast, Eric, that everyone that's in this soil health realm, they tend to be ready willing to share everything that they have because 
because they realize it's so much bigger than they are and that it, it becomes looking at this whole agricultural ecosystem and, and some of the things that Barry kind of tied into that, you know, that if we see this this great of an impact on a on a small scale on a field and that farmer's having that success and he's seeing that economic benefit, think about how much greater that benefit could be across the whole board in, a, in an entire watershed or a whole floodplain area. So again, those farmers are willing to share that information with anybody who wants to ask those questions. Um, you just have to be comfortable and, and willing to, to put yourself out there and ask those questions. And sometimes that's the hardest part is, is asking someone who's doing something different than you to, to to show you what to do or ask for advice on, on how to get started. Um, so that's what I would suggest is find, find that farmer or find that group of farmers and just start trying to learn as much as you can from them. Barry, how about you? Yeah, and uh, one of our advantages we've got with our Indiana Conservation Cropping System Initiative and one of the key things when, when, we were, when that was first being started, it was kind of farmer-led, and one of the first things we did was identify farmers in each area of the state that could be those hub farmers that could be the, the center of where we could start a building a network from and things like that so i'd advise everybody go to the conservation cropping system initiative website and uh, look for those workshops that they're hosting they they're great at putting on not just a workshop but a quality workshop and bring in really quality speakers some may come from a distance, but some they're all, they will almost always have one of our local high-end farmers that have really figured it out and, and, and can, can deliver, you know, can explain what they're doing and why they're doing it and those kinds of things. Because sometimes it's hard to just go knock on somebody's door. But if you go to these workshops, that's the beginning of the network building. All those farmers, they're talking. It's a very comfortable, very inviting environment. And so, you know, by having these... these uh, networks forming around the state of Indiana th facilitated largely by the conservation cropping system initiative that's your that's a really good first stop is to go where other farmers are wanting to talk about it and ask good questions and those kinds of things and then and then go from there uh, but meet you know look at your own operation and 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 don't try to do the maximum massive deluxe soil health system on day one. Find the practical first step, next step. There are logical steps that will help you offset risk and have success at each step, step that you're building for it. So look at your own system. What's my equipment like? What's my management style? What's What are the crops I'm growing? Find those best first steps so you have success right out of the gate and and low risk right off the gate so that's where i would start if if i was offering suggestions well barry here in retirement uh, you you might have a career in radio you just did my commercial read for the conservation cropping systems initiative i don't need to plug them anymore you just did it so thanks to them for sponsoring today's podcast barry thank you for the hospitality again this is the most laid-back podcast i've ever done this is fantastic yeah what a wonderful view. So The Front Porch Podcast. It's your whole new gig. There you go. There he's, you go. he's got a good radio voice, too. He does. He, he could pull it off. Nice and low. He could slow. pull it off. It does really good, yeah. yeah he could pull yeah. it off. It's, it's not my forte. I don't think I have a radio voice. Well, Stephanie, <laughs> what you do have is uh, a lot of friends that you're leaving behind here in Indiana, and we wish you the very best of luck up there in, in Minnesota. Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota. So... 
thank you for everything for the past five years. Congratulations. Uh, but now you're you're dead to us. You're done. Let's turn her microphone off. She's 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 done. Okay. Now this this is the Hatch Soil Health Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. It's brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, and we'll do it again here soon. Thank you.